Hello and welcome to Power Pros Podcast, episode 196. I'm your host, the Hoff, Chris Hoffman, and with me is my co-host and nemesis, Pete Mashad. I love milk. Milk, milk, milk. That is fabulous to hear, Pete, but we are not here to talk about milk. No, once again, we're here to talk about what is going on in the world of Nintendo. That means some game impressions, some news, and also this week's big topic, which we are calling the Nintendo DLC Report Card. Prepare to get graded. <laughs> However, before we get to that, we will start off with some game impressions, starting with a game published by Nintendo that came out a few weeks back. This is a title called Good Job. And this game is ostensibly an action puzzle game of sorts, where you are trying to accomplish various mundane tasks in an office building, but in sort of a humorous way. I have not yet had a chance to play this game myself, but Pete, I understand that you have, and I would love to hear your thoughts about this title. So tell us, what's it all about? Yeah, I think the fact that you mentioned Action Puzzler is about right. I think it's almost a little bit more physics puzzle. Yes, it's very physics-based. Yeah, so, uh, you know, you kind of hit the nail on the head. There's not a lot of story to this game. <laughs> I was kind of shocked. Like, they just kind of throw you right into it. But, uh, you know, some people appreciate that. And, you know, if you've seen any video or screenshots of this, the aesthetic is really cool. It's sort of this isometric 3.5D view. Right. And you look like a little stick figure. You know, no features, just arms and a head. Yeah, basically a little silhouette. Yeah, and everyone in the game looks like that. Mm -hmm. And you quickly learn in the beginning that your dad, I think, is the CEO, and you are some peon, and he's going to go to the top floor, and you're going to just, like, I don't know, chum around on the bottom floor. Right, you're working your way up through the business. Starting at the bottom, working up to the top. And apparently that means like, you know, delivering people their coffee or maybe it means smashing through walls. It looks really <laughs> ridiculous from what I've seen. And I hardly can get my head wrapped around it. And that's why I'm so curious to hear what the gameplay is actually like. Yeah, so, you know, it's not really about uh, delivering people's coffee, but you're close. There's like... You know, you've probably seen in the trailer, there's like a projector that goes out and you need to bring a projector from another room to replace it. Right. Now, what's weird is you basically just, you know, do what you want to get that projector into this other room. And like, you know, you can slingshot it. You can like plug in a cord from one outlet to another. And then all of a sudden now you have a string across the level. And when you pull the projector back against the string, it fires off. And if it like happens to hit a wall or objects, it just like explodes through them. <laughs> now that's not 100% accurate because there are a lot of things that are like the game deems impassable, but most walls, most objects, everything kind of has like a destructible vibe to it. Mm -hmm. You get points for some reason. I still don't understand this, but you get points basically for the amount of damage you've caused. Okay. And yeah, I mean, I kept seeing that counter appear on the screen in the video footage, but I wasn't sure if that was a good thing or a bad thing. <laughs> yeah, as near as I can tell, it's a good thing. But I'm maybe, you know, honestly, I don't know. Because basically, at the end of the level, you get a grade. Like, it says, you know, $15,000 and then, like, a B- minus or something. And you're like, mm -hmm. I truly don't know if that is counting as a good thing or a bad thing. <laughs> All right. Yeah, so when you finish a level, there's three factors that give you a grade. One is the amount of time it took you. One is the amount of damage, like cost of destruction. And then another one is like how many objects you've destroyed. Okay. And, you know, now that you say it, maybe it is better that you don't destroy things. But I feel like part of the game, part of the fun, like there's objects 
There's like a like a giant gold trophy in almost every room. And you can like grab it and just tip it over. And it says $10,000, I guess. I assume that that's a good thing. But uh, <laughs> I don't know. Maybe you're confusing me now. You've thrown a wrench into things. So how are you interacting with things as you proceed through the levels? Yeah, so essentially everything you see is interactable. Like you can pick it up or drag it or, you know, there's like random little things. The game has really minute little details. There's a lot of little things and you're like, what is that? And then you grab it and it's like a mop. And then the mop behaves like you would expect a mop to behave. Like if there's water on the ground, you can actually mop it up. So there's just a lot of little things that are playable and interactive. So in this game, though, you really can kind of go your own way. If you need to get this projector, you can slingshot it. You could just drag it. You can, you know, figure out like some other way to like destroy a wall. Anyway, so that's one example of a level. It probably makes more sense for me to explain the floors. So right when you start off, you start in the reception area. And then eventually you go to the elevator and you get these different floors and like the first floor is finance and then second floor is logistics. Each one is a different sort of kind of theme. Okay. So in the first one, it was like all about flinging projectors, all about relocating folks back to rooms. So sometimes like there's like a meeting in a room and then everybody leaves. <laughs> oh yeah, I heard about that. And then it's your job to like grab some chairs and like drag them underneath the people and they like sit down automatically and then you drag their chair into the room. Mm-hmm. I gotta be honest, the first floor kind of lost me. I was like, this is fun, but like, I hope there's more to it than this. <laughs> Once I got to the second floor, it was like, oh, okay. You get to interact with some cranes, like literally imagine like a candy crane, but over an office. Huh, okay. And that's like the logistics floor. So, you know, as you can imagine a lot of shipping and, and then there's also forklifts you can drive. So all sorts of hijinks. Like I think the level that introduces the crane is basically like you have these different colored crates that you have to pick up and drop them on a specific spot in the warehouse. Okay. But what's cool is once you've picked up this heavy item with your crane, you can essentially just like swing it around the level, just destroying wooden crates and just causing utter mayhem. And it actually is really fun. You get kind of the sense of playfulness where you just want to like break stuff and see what it looks like when you (laughs) drop a heavy crate on top of like a bunch of people like what happens sounds good to me yeah and then the next floor is recreation and that was mostly focused on water physics there's like a level where you water plants and at first i was doing it with a bucket and you literally just like kind of go around sloshing a bucket around but then i realized there was a fire hose and i picked that up and (laughs) you can literally aim that thing like high and low and then i realized you could do some i don't know what i hit but i did it a couple times where all of a sudden you'd go flying almost like mario sunshine and your character is like flying around and you're just geysering water underneath you (laughs) crazy yeah and then the fourth floor that i got to so i've only played it to the fourth floor the fourth floor revolves around goo (laughs) and that's the research floor and in the first level that i encountered there you basically have a room full of like pink goo and it kind of reminded me a little bit of the opposite of Splatoon where your job is to now mop this stuff up. And then I grabbed some like electronic buffer, like a floor buffer, like you see a cleaning crew with maybe in an office environment and uh, you grab it and it literally just starts going (laughs) and your characters like feet fly up in the air and you're like, (laughs) Basically hover biking around this level, cleaning up. But the funny thing is, is that there are buckets of goo around, like a shelf with a bunch of paint cans of goo. And so if you're not careful, 
you drop more goo onto the level in the process of cleaning the goo. Mm-hmm. So yeah, there's just a lot of like wacky physics stuff. I did really find myself enjoying it as I kept playing it. I was like, more than anything, I want to keep playing to see what's on the further levels because yeah, I see what ridiculous thing happens next, huh? Yeah, and you kind of get this feeling. There's just like. You just don't know. Like, it's kind of fun when you play a game and you have no really preconceived notion of what they're Mm going to throw at you next. (laughs) Yeah. A couple other things to mention. You know, the music in it is like elevator music. It kind of has this like, you know, workplace kind of aesthetic. It's nice, but, you know, not really notable. There is a co-op mode that I would imagine could be pretty fun. Because if you're both doing these goofy things at the same time, I could imagine all sorts of hijinks breaking out. All right, good to know. I would say the one thing I've noticed is there's not much replayability, but the levels, as I mentioned, you do get graded. So, you know, if you wanted to go back and really try to, like, you know, get an A on every level, that's something that would be there for you. All right, sounds very ridiculous and packed with variety. Yeah, and I mentioned, you know, that there's tons of little details, almost like everything is interactive in a fun way. And I think if there was only one thing that I would say, the downside, the physics can be wonky at times. Uh-huh. Yeah, a lot of games are like that. Yeah, like, you know, you'll drive a forklift and you like hit a stack of crates and you just expect it to do something and then it doesn't. Then also, there's no tutorial at all, which hmm. is kind of good and bad. I kind of usually like games that give me a little bit of hand-holding, but this felt a little bit like too freeform. They're just like, here, just figure this out. What I'm kind of assuming is that they really didn't want to spoil anything. Kind of the level themselves are their tutorial, but uh, there's just not a lot of clear direction. Mm -hmm. I guess it's kind of experimental. Learn by doing, you know? Yeah. And then lastly, you have a very limited view of what you can see. And there's a couple levels where you have to, like, you know, go water all these plants. And there's literally, like... 200 plants. Oh boy. And you can't zoom out enough to really see the whole level. It kind of requires you to painstakingly walk back through the level. Again, I feel like that was a design choice, but I would have liked maybe even just like, you know, increase the screen size by just like, you know, 50% so you can see a bit more when you're really trying to figure out how to beat this area you're in. Now, one thing that I thought when I first saw this game is that, you know, it just kind of looked ridiculous and crazy and reminded me a lot of the stretchers in some way. Are those two games comparable in any way? <laughs> yeah, you know, I think gameplay-wise, not really. Except for the fact that there's like kind of, you know, just chaos going on. And goofy physics, I suppose. Yeah, but then I guess tonality, yes, there is some similarity. It's definitely, you know, tongue-in-cheek. There's these things that are happening. It's like ESRB cartoon violence <laughs> <laughs> yeah. through the roof. Like, you know, any normal person would die in any of these scenarios. <laughs> but for some reason, it's like fun and kitschy in these games. So, All right. So overall then, uh, recommending this one? You know, I think it really depends on your tastes. You know, when I first started playing it, I wasn't digging it right away. It kind of had like a slow burn. But as soon as it ramped up and started to get more uh, little puzzle elements involved, I definitely saw the benefits. And now I'm kind of hooked to want to play the rest. I also like that once you've learned like how to use the crane or something, then all of a sudden you'll get to some level where there's a bunch of things. There's like a water and the crane and they throw all these things at you. So mm-hmm. yeah, I would say bottom line, yes. If you're into these types of games, physics puzzlers, this is definitely a quality title. At $20, it's kind of the right price point for it. Yeah, I think so. I think if you're not into physics puzzlers, if you're not looking into something where it's just like an easy way to spend, I'm guessing the game probably is like four to five hour range. That's my impression. 
then I would say, you know, maybe steer clear. But it is a quality title, and so welcome addition to the eShop. All right, cool. Good to know. Sounds like it might be up my alley. I will look into it if I have some extra spare gaming time. Maybe we can co-op. Yeah, it'd be just like working together in the old days. Now, in the meantime, I've been playing a game that is also rather quirky in its own very different type of way, (laughs) and that is Disaster Report 4 Summer Memories, also for Switch. Is this related at all to Disaster Day of Crisis? The old Wii game? No, this is not. This is a completely different game, completely unrelated, completely different publisher. This one is published by NIS America and developed by Granzella, while that one was actually developed by Monolith Soft. But uh, yeah, let me tell you, this is a very weird game. A very (laughs) weird game. In theory, it is an adventure survival game where you're just an average person trying to survive when a massive earthquake hits Japan. But that description alone, it really doesn't do the game justice. (laughs) You should know there is no combat. It's mostly exploration and conversing with NPCs and a little bit of item usage. But Anyway, you slice it. This game is very different, quite quirky, and as I said, definitely, definitely weird. Yeah, it looks weird. <laughs> yeah, it is indeed. And it all starts when your character, who is a custom avatar that can be either male or female, is visiting a fictional Japanese city that is supposedly not Tokyo, but it is completely, absolutely Tokyo. <laughs> and then this massive earthquake hits, like the Earth splits open and the ground is suddenly very uneven and buildings are collapsing everywhere. That kind of earthquake. Mm. So you don't really know what's happening. The game doesn't hold your hand at all. It's up to you to go and talk to people and gather info and explore and figure out basically how to escape and survive. And it's pretty slow moving and methodical. Like your regular walking speed is super slow. You'll probably be using the run button a lot. But anyway, as you're talking to people or trying to go places, there are aftershocks, like massive aftershocks that are as big as the initial quake, and they just keep coming, and huge buildings and massive freeways and whatever just keeps collapsing all around you. And when the ground starts shaking, you're supposed to brace yourself by holding down the Y button so you don't fall over. Because if you fall, you lose like a third of your health, so you know it's good to just hit that brace button and crouch down. Except sometimes you do that and a building might just fall on your head and you're instantly dead. (laughs) Back to your last checkpoint, you know? Wow. Yeah. Hmm. You never really know. Do you run and possibly trip and fall? Or do you hunker down and maybe get squashed flat? You never really know until it happens. So, you know, fortunately those checkpoints are pretty generous. It sounds intense. (laughs) Yeah, that's one word for it. And during all this, you're meeting various NPCs, you're trying to help people out, you're making your way through the city in an attempt to get back home. And sometimes that means exploring a half-collapsed building, trying to save someone who's up on the top floor and can't leave themselves. Sometimes it means going a little fetch quest to find toilet paper. Sometimes it means retrieving a key. Sometimes it means going on extensive mission to assemble a very long rope and then lift a sign because you otherwise can't squeeze past it. (laughs) The toilet paper one sounds like my current life. Yeah, it's a lot more familiar than I'd like it to be. (laughs) And, you know, as you're doing all this, the disaster scenario continues to evolve. At first, it's just these earthquakes. Uh, Then you encounter a big fire. And then you encounter looters. 
Then there's this huge flooded area that you're rowing around and swimming in. And the story unfolds over six days. And after the first three days, the actual natural disasters start calming down a bit. And that's really when the weirdness starts kicking in. Mm. Like you end up dealing with this little Romeo and Juliet situation in these neighboring burrows before you get accused of being a thief for no reason at all. And then you have to hightail it out of there. You end up joining a cult and becoming its leader. And then like the first time you tell the cult members to stop being mean to someone, they turn on you and attempt to kill you. And again, you're just running for your life. Wow. You end up like conning people with this fake cure-all miracle water, even though you don't want to. (laughs) And somewhere in the middle of all this, you get kidnapped and forced into like one of the worst stealth segments I've ever played where you are literally just very slowly, painfully sliding around on your butt. (laughs) I'm seeing a lot of similarities between this and current day situation. (laughs) Yeah, that'll really get the old hemorrhoids flaring up. (laughs) Yeah, in a lot of these situations, you're given a choice of being evil or being nice, but even so, you're kind of forced into all of these weird situations regardless, and I'm not really sure if there's any benefit or drawback to being good or being evil. This sounds like a Nicolas Cage movie. (laughs) Yeah, it is that level of strangeness for sure. Now, on a technical level, the game is a very mixed bag. The graphics are decent, and they managed to put a ton of NPCs on the screen at some time in a lot of the scenes. And it actually feels like a big crowded city, which I have to say, a lot of games with similar settings fail to do. Mm Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, the frame rate can get really, really poor at times, and there's a lot of jankiness with the character collisions and interacting with the environments. Some of the sound is really good, though. Like, all the important scenes are fully voiced, and it seems like it's very well done. And there are even a handful of, like, really emotional, heartfelt, full vocal songs interspersed throughout the game that seem really, really well produced. (laughs) You know, I was going to say, just the screenshots I'm seeing, plus, like, the logo, I'm really getting, like, an N64 vibe for some reason. (laughs) Well... It's much more advanced than something like that, but I have to say there are certain things about that do ring of this era of sort of Japanese experimental games where they're not really afraid of being locked into a formula and don't mind trying to sort of some experimental things. Hmm. Uh, Speaking of the game being Japanese, though, I should point out that all the voices are in Japanese. There is no English dub, and that certainly makes sense considering the setting. But, you know, sometimes there are NPCs walking by with flavor dialogue just for atmosphere, and they say something, and, you know, it's just not localized. You don't know what the heck that person is saying. (laughs) Uh, In addition to that, the English localization can get a little bit rough at times, so that's sort of something to keep in mind if you are considering playing this game. But, yeah, if it isn't obvious, this game is super, super Japanese. Like, if you've ever been to Japan, you'll think it totally looks and feels very authentic. The way the characters dress is very true to life. The way that they are, you know, initially all very focused on, you know, oh, I got to get back to work. I got to get back to my job. Oh, I can't stop because of this huge fire. I have to get back to work. You know, even though the earthquake and the flames are destroying everything, I have to go do that. You know, that seems like a very Japanese perspective on things, you know. That makes a lot of sense considering where the game was made and where it's set. But keep in mind, this ain't L.A. or New York or anywhere in between. Yeah, that's an interesting one. A few other things to note. In addition to your health meter, you have ratings for hunger and thirst and your need to go to the bathroom. But as far as I can tell, they have no impact on gameplay at all. (laughs) Like, if you don't eat, your character might start holding their stomach but I don't think it actually alters the gameplay or makes your life meter go down faster or anything like that, which kind of negates the whole survival appeal of the game. Right. And also, you know, 
to go along with all the other weird twists, the game has a very bizarre sense of humor. Like, sometimes it just totally breaks the fourth wall out of nowhere. Like, there's one NPC you bump into who talks about how he's worried about how the development of Disaster Report 4 might be affected by the earthquake. <laughs> there's another part where this guy is begging for help and you can demand that they change the game's title in exchange. So after that, all of my load screens said Disaster Report 5 with a question mark after it. <laughs> wow. And then on the other end of the spectrum, I can't think of any game I've played recently where I meet characters who are such jerks and I just totally want to punch them in the face for behaving the way they behave, but I can't. And it's like, I almost feel like the moral to this game is like, oh, a lot of people are jerks. You should stay away from them, you know? <laughs> right. It sounds like Twitter the game. <laughs> yeah, it's just a very strange approach to game design. It's like, man, I hope this character gets to come up and oh, no, he never does. Oh, well. <laughs> How funny. But anyway, you take all this stuff, you add all together, you get a game that is very different. One that I feel doesn't quite realize all of its idea or necessarily live up to all its potential. You know, it's really ambitious. It tries a lot, but not quite as polished as I'd like. You know, that said, there is a demo in the eShop. So if you want to give it a spin and see if it floats your boat or your life raft, as the case may be, you can do so free of charge and your progress even does carry over to the full game. Personally, you know, I think it's a bit of a tough sell at full price, but if you want something that is certainly unlike anything else on Switch and feels, you know, kind of timely considering everything going on <laughs> in the world, then perhaps this is a game worth checking out. Now, have you played any of the other disaster reports? No, I have not. Most of them have never been released in the U.S. I think the first or maybe the second one was released on PlayStation 2, but no, I've never played it, so I really don't have a good frame of reference for this one. Yeah, it's just kind of blowing my mind that this is the fourth of its kind. <laughs> yeah, and apparently it suffered all kinds of setbacks and delays. You know, it was supposed to come out a few years ago, like on the previous generation, but it didn't because, you know, there was a huge earthquake in Japan and they're like, oh, well, this certainly wouldn't be appropriate to release. And of course, now it comes out, you know, during a huge global disaster of a different kind. <laughs> so, you know, go figure. I feel like they need to just let this game go. Well, I thought it was a very interesting premise, which is why I wanted to check it out. And despite the rough edges, I think others may enjoy it too. So I say, fire up that eShop demo and give it a go. All right. And then one more game that I wanted to talk about that came out recently is Trials of Mana. This, of course, being the current-gen remake on Switch of the Super Famicom game, Seiken Densetsu 3, which only just came to North America for the first time last year. And now we're getting this full 3D remake that's arrived. You get six different fantasy characters with intertwining stories. You pick one as your main character, then play through their story. But, uh, you know, once you meet up with your partners, you will get to experience a little prologue with them as well. But, uh, yeah, six distinct characters with intertwining tales in a fantasy action RPG from Square Enix and part of the Mana series. Yeah, this one was definitely on my radar, but for some reason, maybe it was just my Animal Crossing haze. I just didn't realize it had come out. Yep, yep, it is out there, it is available now, and there is indeed a demo for this one on the eShop too. Cool. When I started my playthrough, I chose the character of Duran, who of course is a rock and roller from the 80s. No, that's not true. <laughs> He's a swordsman who was defeated by the evil Crimson Wizard, and he is seeking revenge on this guy and the power to do that, not to be confused with Duran Duran, of course. <laughs> 
There is Reese, who is the princess of a mountain kingdom and the captain of the guard. And her brother is kidnapped by some evil jerk and her father was slain by invaders. And then Charlotte, who is the young daughter of the Priest of Light. Supposedly she's in her teens, but she looks and acts like she's five years old. And then the characters I didn't pick are Kevin the Beast Man, Angela the Princess, and Hawkeye. Uh, no, not that Hawkeye. This guy's apparently a thief. <laughs> well, I'm glad to see a Kevin is represented. <laughs> yes, there are Hawkeyes, there are Durands, and there are Kevins. Although Kevin's just like the 80s rock star. <laughs> Now, Pete, you said you haven't played this one yet, but if you did, which three characters do you think you would choose? I think I would also pick Duran. He's my hair goals. <laughs> yeah, Anthony Sora seems to be posed as sort of the main character, so I understand that. Hmm. But yeah, as far as the gameplay goes, I will say this really doesn't quite feel like a triple A game from a big company like Square Enix. It kind of feels like a PS2 or GameCube era game that they just up for Switch. Hmm. Like... The models and textures both feel kind of outdated, and the limited interactivity with the environments also makes this game feel a bit like a relic as well. However, the combat does feel very, very modern. It has a full 3D battle engine that lets you hack and slash and jump and dodge and utilize magic skills and special moves. You know, just very robust and fluid, and you can really tell that that is the aspect of the game that was reinvented the most from the title's 16-bit incarnation. In a lot of ways, the gameplay does seem kind of simple and straightforward as an action RPG compared to games that are, you know, built from the ground up for today. But, you know, sometimes simple is kind of a good thing. It's easy to just get into and get out and enjoy it and play it. Another thing I've noticed is that the voice acting is remarkably bad. <laughs> like, it's not too often these days that I hear voice acting in a game. I'm just like, wow, that is bad. But this, yeah, it really jumped out at me. I, you're really selling it there, Chris. <laughs> it just really seemed like when they were recording, they had no context for the characters. And there are just some mind-numbing choices aside from that. Like, Charlotte has a speech impediment. <laughs> and I, like, totally regret picking her as one of my three main characters just for that reason. It's like nails on a chalkboard. And I don't know who thought that was a good idea for a main character who is talking all the time. But yikes. That is about all I can say. I don't understand, Chris. Why would you care about a speech impediment? No, it's actually not quite like that. It's where she changes like all her R's to W's. So it's like, I'm very, very sorry. Oh, no. And it's, it's really, yeah. <laughs> oh. Yeah, you should just look it up online or something. Anyway, I've only played a few hours into this game. And, you know, despite a couple drawbacks, I do really want to play more. It's really just kind of hard to justify with so many other good games out there on the Switch that I haven't cut around to playing yet. But I have to say, I do like what I've played, and given more time on my schedule, I would love to check this one out further. Yeah, you know, I think just coming from Square Enix and being sort of, you know, in the mana ilk, it definitely still is on my radar. I still would like to give it a shot. I guess now with a demo available, I will. Yeah, you totally should. Give it a try. There's no reason not to. And that's all we've got for our impressions this week. Let us move along to a little bit of news. And first up in the news this week, there is a new update out for Super Mario Maker 2. And holy shy guys, a lot of what we requested on the last episode of the podcast actually happened. <laughs> yeah, what kind of dark arts are you dabbling in there, Chris? Oh, I thought there was a blooper nanny hiding in your beard that uh, gave us all the secrets or something. <laughs> Well, if there is, I don't know about it. 
Mm-hmm. Well, listen more carefully then. But yeah, there is a lot of really great content in here. And it starts off with a new world maker mode, which was indeed one of the things that we were talking about last episode. You can create world maps. There are eight different themes, including grass, underground, desert, forest, sky, and even outer space. And you can place up to five levels in each world and you know basically create your own little game with up to eight maps and 40 levels it, you know then nintendo slaps some silly name on it and becomes like you know super hoff world or something <laughs> like that depending on your username super ronnie world yeah exactly and then there is the super mario brothers 2 mushroom you know not quite the full super mario brothers 2 mode i was hoping for but right. yeah when you pick this up you turn into mario from super mario 2 and you can just jump on enemies then pick them up and throw them you can also, you know, grab snowballs, dig through clouds. I'm not really sure what else you can do. I need to experiment with it a little bit more. But it certainly seems very cool from what I have played. You know, you hold down the button to keep carrying the enemies. If you just tap it once, you'll throw them immediately. So that's something to keep in mind if you just start playing for the first time. And then there are also like five Super Mario Brothers 2 music tracks hidden in there if you're using this power-up. And in addition, even the little cameos by Birdo and Wart. Not the actual Birdo and Wart as enemies, unfortunately, but hey, it's better than nothing. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. Yeah, for sure. And then there are, indeed, new power-ups. We got the frog suit from Super Mario Brothers 3, and then, on top of that, the power balloon from Super Mario World, the super acorn from New Super Mario Brothers, and the boomerang flower from Super Mario 3D World, plus wearable items, all for Mario 3D World, in the form of the cannon box, propeller box, Gooba mask, bullet bill mask, and the red POW box. Throw in all Savakoopalings as enemy characters, as well as other stuff like a cursed key that lets you get chased by Fanto, a new Mecha Koopa enemy that has Blasta Mecha Koopa and Zappa Mecha Koopa variants that you know fire off bullet bills or electricity, respectively. Trampolines that can be turned on and off, and dotted line blocks for Super Mario 3D World, which didn't have them before. And you get a very robust update for Super Mario Maker 2. Yeah, no kidding. I mean, this, I'm not going to say it came out of nowhere, but pretty cool that all this was added. It's just free content. Yeah, for sure. You know, especially the World Maker. I think that's just, <laughs> no no pun intended, a game changer. Mm-hmm. I mean, even little details like the key from Super Mario Brothers 2. I think that's so awesome. Yeah, I think it's a really great batch of content. And, you know, I haven't had too much time to play around with it, but so far... I have really liked what I've seen, especially, you know, the Super Mario Brothers 2 power-up. I can't wait to fool around with this stuff a little bit more. Yeah, definitely. And speaking of updates to popular games, there's also been a new update for Animal Crossing New Horizons that came out on the 23rd of April, and that adds several new features and events. Uh, Did they patch it so that you can't send me any more beards in the mail? No, I don't believe so. But Pete, I don't know why you'd be complaining. I mean, I would think you would want to have like an entire shrine in your house dedicated to beards, which is why I make sure to send you one on a daily basis. (laughs) Uh, He's not joking, folks. He really does. I think you'd be more appreciative. Well, I am working on the shrine. I don't know what else to do with all these beards. Good, good, because I'm looking forward to seeing that. I assume you already have one shrine already. It'll be your second shrine, probably. Mm. I will say one negative thing along with this update is that they cut down the bank interest rates severely, apparently due to people cheating in the game by time traveling. And I don't even know how to do that. It just affects me in a negative way. I'm like, that's not cool. Why change it to affect everyone when it's only a small fraction of players that are doing this? I wish they would consider that fact when they make changes to the game like that. Hey, at least they gave you a cool bell rug. Yeah, 
that jerk Tom Nook. He's like, oh, I'm going to cut your interest, but here's a free rug. <laughs> Hardly worth it at all. What a jerk. Sorry, buddy. Anyway, as for the stuff they did add, there are Nature Day festivities running from April 23rd to May 4th. That's ongoing right now. You know, I was kind of expecting something extensive along the lines of the Easter goals. This is really just, you know, special nature-themed Nook Miles challenges that focus on things like planting trees and watering flowers on a daily basis. So I kind of thought there'd be more to this one. But, however, coinciding with this, Leaf has started appearing in his little garden shop. And, you know, I thought he was going to be here daily for the entire duration of the Nature Day activities. But, uh, no, that's not true. He only has visited me twice so far. But maybe he'll eventually set up a permanent shop in Nook's Cranny in a future update or something like that. I'll know. Only if you buy enough shrubs. (laughs) Perhaps so. Red has also started showing up on the island as well, and as usual, he tries to sell counterfeit art along with a little bit of non-counterfeit art mixed in. And, you know, once you do get some real art from him and you donate it to the museum, that prompts a full-scale renovation and a new art gallery section opens up. And I was wandering around in there. Once again, it feels like a completely different game almost with just the way the aesthetics look so good and amazing in the museum. But I also was stunned by just how much space there is. So, like, it's going to take a lot of time and effort to fill that up with authentic non-counterfeit art for sure. (laughs) Yeah, no kidding, especially at the frequency he visits your town. Yeah, he shows up like once a week or so, and if you buy counterfeit art, it's like, oh, that doesn't count. So, yeah, it's going to take a while. The update is also bringing with it a May Day tour, which is going to be happening from May 1st through 7th. Apparently, you get a one-time-only May Day ticket at the island airport that lets you visit a unique tour on a special island. I do not know what that means, but apparently Rover is going to be there, so I am intrigued. And then... From May 18th to 31st, there is International Museum Day celebration, which lets you receive a special stamp card and participate in a stamp rally by viewing fish, insects, and fossils in the museum. And that lets you collect stamps and earn a special reward. I suppose that's a good time to visit friends if you're lagging behind in your collection, I suppose. Mm, Is that a hint? Oh, absolutely not. I want you to stay away as far as possible, Pete. (laughs) Thank you kindly. And then the last thing is wedding season, which takes place during all of June. And I guess you can visit Harvey's Island to meet up with Reese and Cyrus, who, of course, are husband and wife. And you will help arrange and take anniversary photos with them, which in turn earns you wedding-themed items. It seems kind of weird to me personally, especially going on for an entire month. But, you know, I'm sure with the way things are, you're going to get actual couples in real life holding, like, wedding receptions and ceremonies at Animal Crossing instead of in real venues. So... Why not, I guess? Why not, indeed. So, Pete, out of all that stuff, what would you say you are most interested in? You know, I don't know. As much as people hate Red, I kind of liked him being in my town just because he's a familiar face. The shrub guy doesn't do much for me. (laughs) What's his name? Leaf. That's right. The Snorlax. Leaf doesn't do all that much for me. Sorry, Sloth. (laughs) You know, I think more than anything, it's just kind of nice that Nintendo keeps adding uh, these updates. I think the new wing of the uh, museum is cool. What about you? What's your favorite part? Oh, I don't know if I have a favorite just yet, but I guess I'm going to say I'm most interested in this May Day tour because I don't really know what it is. They're just kind of teasing it at this point, and I'm very curious as to what that's going to all be about. So I'm looking forward to that one when it arrives uh, very soon on May 1st. Now, have you seen some of these museums that have put basically a bunch of real art (laughs) available as Animal Crossing download QR codes? Oh, you know, now that you mentioned, I actually have seen that happening but uh, yeah unfortunately the art that uh, they make available cannot be donated to the new art wing of the in-game museum 
tragically. That's right. You have to uh, designate a room of your house to uh, hold this fine art. Yep, and uh, I guess now you don't need to because now there's an actual in-game art museum. Yeah, pretty cool either way. Yep, for sure. It's all good. Moving along to a couple other news items. We found out some very sad news from the folks over at Atui. The game formerly known as Chicken Wiggle Workshop is now being called Hatch Tales. Oh no. Chris, you must be devastated. Uh, I am. You have no idea, Pete. It is an absolute tragedy. I mean, I'm sure the game is still going to be good, and maybe the name Hatch Tales is better for business, but I have to say, the name Chicken Wiggle, that was the main reason I bought the game to begin with on 3DS, and the main reason I backed the Kickstarter, because how could you go wrong with a name like Chicken Wiggle? I don't know, but somehow the guys in charge there decided no, that name just isn't going to cut it. We have to change it to Hatch Tales. Woohoo. I feel like the only reason we're even talking about this game is because it's called Chicken Wiggle. But now that it's Hatch Tales, who knows? I don't know. I don't know what to tell you people. But actually, the game is really, really good. I do advise people to check it out on 3DS or wait until Hatch Tales comes out on Switch. I did enjoy it quite a bit. It's a pretty fantastic puzzle platformer that, as I said, was previously released on 3DS. It's kind of been in the limbo for a while as far as the Switch remake goes, but we are assured it is still on the way. There will be more content in addition to what was in the 3DS game, and it's going to have HD visuals. But, you know, exactly what is going to be arriving, uh, they haven't really said yet. But uh, still, I do just want to say, on the behalf of people everywhere that love the name Chicken Wiggle, no! Thanks for that, Hop. You're welcome, Pete. One other small bit of news. I noticed on Hallmark's website that there are no fewer than seven new Nintendo-themed Christmas ornaments coming later this year. There is going to be a miniature NES, a miniature Legend of Zelda gold NES cartridge, Yoshi in a cart from Mario Kart, Pikachu, and then Pixel Mario, Pixel Luigi, and Pixel Donkey Kong all on the way for you to hang on your Christmas tree in time for this year's distant holiday season. Now, if you were looking to get me something, I would definitely take the NES console or the Legend of Zelda NES cartridge. Yeah, I have to say, those are definitely the two that are on my must-have list as well. The other ones, you know, those aren't bad either, but the NES and the Zelda cart, yeah, for sure, I'm going to absolutely get those. You better believe it. Now, do you know if they play music? Because, like, in the past, they have, right? Yeah, actually, the mini NES does make sounds from Super Mario Brothers, but the other ones, as far as I know, do not. I'm okay with that because, yeah, <laughs> I get dirty looks every time I play the <laughs> Donkey Kong arcade machine one I have. Yeah, those are kind of loud, aren't they? They really are. <laughs> uh, regardless, they're still pretty darn cool, and I'm looking forward to it for sure. That takes care of our news for this episode, so let us move along to a little bit of listener mail. This time we have a letter from listener Bedroth, who says, Man, you really nailed those Mario Maker predictions. I'm pretty impressed. I'm psyched for the idea of a new Mario All-Stars. I often thought they should take some of the handheld Mario tiles and put them together in a bundle. A Wario All-Stars would also be fantastic. Collect Wario Lands 1 through 4, throw in a port of the Virtual Boy game, and you've got yourselves a fantastic collection. They should really shake it for Switch around the same time while they're at it. A truly fantastic game with gorgeous graphics that hold up even now, and amazing soundtrack to boot. Speaking of soundtracks, we're going to be doing a Way Forward showcase on our VGM podcast sometime this fall. Of course, that also makes a pseudo Jake Kaufman showcase, and you'd better believe we've got something from Cat Girl Without Salad on the list. 
Do you have any favorite songs? I have to admit, I was a little on the fence about actually picking that game up, but you made it sound like something I'd really enjoy, and Shefanoff's theme is almost enough alone to make me want to add that game to my collection. Keep podcasting with power. Wow, there's a lot to unpack here. Yeah, and he makes some very good points. I think a Wario collection or a Wario All-Stars title would be really, really great someday down the road, and I'm glad he likes our idea of remaking the classic Game Boy Mario titles. But as for his question about a favorite Jake Kaufman song, I think I would go with, and maybe this is cheating just a little bit, I would say it would be his remix of the Transylvania tune from DuckTales Remastered. I mean, when people talk about DuckTales, everyone, of course, goes to the moon theme. That is really, really great. But I think the treatment that he gave to the Transylvania theme really took it from good to phenomenal. So that would be my pick for my favorite Kaufman tune. Wow, that's high praise from the Hoff. Well, thank you. (laughs) And that's the only letter we've got this week. So I think it's time for us to close up the mailbag. And then we will take a little intermission. Um... And... Yes, Pete? Hold on there, buddy. Hmm, okay. We've done this enough times. I think I know where this is going. You want me to rub your beard, right? (laughs) Uh, incorrect. Oh. It's time to hassle the Huff. Ah, yes. Okay, that was my second guess. All right, then. Let's do this thing. What do you got for me this week? All right. Dear Video Game Professor Hoffman. Yes? If you could commission the original developers of any game to add a DLC to any existing game, what would it be? Huh. Any game, huh? From any era? Any game. Any era. Man, there are a lot of options here. Part of me wants to say a classic game that's lacking in the sequel department, like Chrono Trigger or Final Fight. And then part of me wants to say a more recent game, like AI The Somnium Files, that is overlooked, but I really enjoy and would love to play through a new scenario of. But I think the one that would make the most sense would be Tatsunoko vs. Capcom Ultimate All-Stars for Wii. I don't know much about the Tatsunoko side of things, but when I think about all the other characters from the Capcom side that could be added to that game, like Hagar, or Phoenix Wright, or Sissel from Ghost Trick, or Hiryu from Strider, or Arthur from Ghosts and Goblins, or more Darkstalkers characters, I feel like it could have made one of the best fighting games on Wii even better. So, that is my choice. Wow, I did not expect that, but uh, yeah, I could see your point. All right, I'm glad you accept that answer. Anyway, it is definitely time for us to take our intermission, so let us do that, and then when we come back, we will discuss this week's big topic, which is the Nintendo DLC report card.
All right, we are back and we are ready to discuss this week's bigger topic, which is the Nintendo DLC report card. Basically, we are talking about an evaluation of much of Nintendo's recent downloadable content it has made for many of its games. And you know, Pete, a few years ago, Nintendo seemed like it would be one of the last companies to embrace alternative revenue models such as DLC. But you know, look at their catalog now and you will see that they have new downloadable content releasing for just about every game that they release now on Switch. You know, that includes sometimes we talked about earlier in the show, such as Mario Maker and Animal Crossing. But, you know, if we look at some of these major games released in the past couple years, the question is, how is Nintendo really doing when it comes to DLC? Is it actually good? Is it actually fairly priced? Is it actually worthwhile? That is what this episode's big topic is all about. That is what inquiring minds would like to know. Exactly. So let's kick off with a great game for the Switch that both of us really, really enjoyed, that being The Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild. And of course, they released quite a bit of DLC for this title under the Expansion Pass, which sold for $19.99. It arrived in two packs, the Master Trials, which was pack one, which included the Trial of the Sword, where you have to survive 45 rooms to get a fully powered Master Sword. And by survive, I mean you'll go through without any respawn checkpoints. It's do it all or die trying. Then there was the Hero's Path mode, which let you view everywhere you had gone in the game for like 200 hours. There was the new Master mode, a hard difficulty. The Travel Medallion that let you warp. There were eight new hidden clothing items scattered in treasure chests throughout the land. And then there was the Korok Mask that let you hear when Koroks were nearby. And then in the second half of the Expansion Pass, there was the Champion's Ballad, which included this whole new post-game scenario where you use the hints from Cast the Bard, first to get and use the one-hit obliterator, then conquer new shrines, conquer a new dungeon, defeat a bonus boss, and then earn the Master Cycle Zero, as well as a little bonus ending picture. On top of that, there were nine new clothing items hidden in treasure chests, including stuff from A Link Between Worlds and Wind Waker, and even Twilight Princess. Then there was, you know, some ancient horse gear a new ancient bridle and ancient saddle, which is hilarious because of, you know, how people so much hate horse armor DLC. <laughs> uh, there was also some free updates as well, including Labo VR support. Anyway, that was quite a bit of stuff. Pete, what do you think about this DLC for Breath of the Wild? Good? Bad? Yeah, I think to me what's crazy about this one is that it was part of a Zelda game, which, you know, up to this point, I don't believe there had been any Zelda DLC. I believe that's correct, yeah. Yeah, I mean, if you look at it in the two different parts, you got the first expansion, which was, you know, primarily just sort of enhancements to the game. It didn't really interfere with the game itself, but it was this, like, extra stuff, you know, like the talisman and all that. The second part was actually new content to the story, which which is pretty crazy, yeah. you know, especially again for a first party Zelda. I think all in all, you know, for twenty bucks, the fact that this came out, there's always the argument that like why wasn't it just in the game to begin with? But you can tell that you know a lot of this stuff. There's just probably no chance it was going to be in the final game because eventually you have to pull the plug and go, okay, we're going to launch for Christmas. So if this content didn't exist, I'd be very sad. I'm glad that it does exist. And I think for $20, it's a pretty reasonable price. Yeah, I tend to agree. I mean, I do feel like a lot of this stuff 
could have or should have been free, like the Hero's Path and the Travel Medallion and the Korok Mask. And I will say that the Trial of the Sword is you know, probably too hard to actually be fun for me personally. But still, <laughs> I think the Champion's Ballad makes it all worthwhile. And that alone, I think, is worth paying $20 for. And then you add in all of the costumes and everything else. It's an excellent package. So for the DLC report card, I give this one an A. Yeah, I think I agree with you. And I almost feel like, yeah, maybe in the future, it'd be nice if they would have done that first DLC pack for free. And then maybe the Champion's Ballad is the 1999 DLC. Who knows? But yes, I agree with you. All around good content. Okay. Moving on to another landmark game for the system, Super Mario Odyssey. It actually did not have any paid DLC, but it did have some free content updates, such as a Luigi's Balloon World mode where... You know, you would hide balloons and then other players would try to go and track them down within 30 seconds. There were also new outfits, new photo filters, and again, this one also got Labo VR support. I don't think that this one was anything too special. You know, there could have been a whole lot more content. They could have done some amazing stuff. You know, I think if they had chosen to, like, put in new levels or new power moons to find and made it paid DLC, there could have been something truly phenomenal here. But since they didn't go that route, you know, what they put out was, you know, okay, but fairly middling. I would only give this one, despite it being free, a C plus. Yeah, I think that's fair, except for zombie Mario with an axe in his head. <laughs> that was pretty crazy for sure. If they had sold that for 75 cents, I totally would have bought it. <laughs> uh, yeah, they could have sold that for $10. I probably would have bought it. <laughs> Very nice. But speaking of uh, buying new costumes, the next game we should discuss is Super Smash Bros. Ultimate, which not only adds a lot of costumes, but has added six playable characters with six more on the way. That includes the Fighter's Pass for 25 bucks, which gave us Joker, the Dragon Quest hero, Banjo, Terry, and Byleth. Fighter's Pass 2, which is 30 bucks, includes an arms character and who knows what else. The Piranha Plant, which was free for early adopters, but now costs $5. And then, you know, all of these me costumes, which sell for like 75 cents each. Sometimes it's a wig and a costume set. Sometimes it's just one for the other. But uh, yeah, that adds up to something in the range of about uh, $19 so far. However, there has been, you know, lots of free content too. There have been more than 100 spirits added from games like Trials of Mana, Cuphead, River City, Resident Evil, Astral Chain, even Tetris. There is, again, as we mentioned for the last couple titles, Labo VR support. They add in a stage builder. There's a home run contest, some extra amiibo functionality, new tournament modes and online options, and, of course, the constant various balance tweaks. Pete, what do you think of their support for Super Smash Bros. Ultimate? I mean, I think you kind of mentioned it already just in the laundry list of things that you've just said. <laughs> they have done a lot for this game, and I feel like... Yeah, they have. Of course, they've got the additional six characters coming. Yeah, but who knows what else? But, right. I mean, the fact that this game is still being supported, the fact that those characters are coming out, and then you know that there's just going to be more and more stuff as well. I think you have to give this one an A. Hmm. See, I kind of differ a little bit from you on this one because you know, look at how much content was in the base game. There was so much stuff and that cost 60 bucks. <laughs> and then you look at the DLC and that has given us six characters so far, six more on the way. But you add up all the DLC together and it's like $80, which is more than the game itself. <laughs> and when you compare those two, it's like, wow, this kind of feels like an overpriced ripoff, you know? You know, especially the costumes, which I think should have been included with the Fighters Pass, like each batch of Mii Fighter costumes released alongside that character. If you have already bought the character or bought the Fighters Pass, you should totally get those as a bundle. But they didn't do that. 
Um, you know, nonetheless, we still got some great characters. I really love the content. I'm really thrilled that we can play as characters like Banjo and Joker and Terry and who knows what else is coming in the upcoming Fighters Pass. So personally, I'm going to give it a B based on what I perceive as lack of value, but that could totally change depending on what those remaining fighters end up being and any other content we get. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, I definitely see the point. But I also think that, you know, in my mindset, I'm more like, well, I only pay for the fighters that I want or only the costumes that I want. But I understand if you're trying to be a completionist and get everything, you're right. You're going to end up spending a lot of money. <laughs> yeah, the whole pack is like 140 bucks now. But I can't blame Nintendo for looking at something like Fortnite and being like, well, look at that. I mean, <laughs> you can literally spend like $3,000 in that game and get no extra bonus. Yeah, I mean, it's true. Nintendo could keep pumping out new characters for this game at five bucks a pop for years and years. And I will buy every single one of them. So look at it that way. I don't know. Maybe you're right. <laughs> well, I think there is a difference though. The characters are the things that you really want, at least in my opinion. I mean, everything else to me is sort of superficial, but as far as adding new characters to the roster, I think that still comes at a fairly low price point. So I'd give it still probably an A. Okay. Moving on to Xenoblade Chronicles 2, which had an expansion pass that was offered for $30. This added items such as new rare blades, including Shulk and Fiora from the original Xenoblade Chronicles, several bonus items, some new quests, a challenge battle mode, but most importantly, it added an entire new story, which was Xenoblade Chronicles 2 Torna the Golden Country which had brand new characters, brand new play mechanics, and all new locations. And when it comes to a grade, I'm kind of torn because you know they actually end up releasing Torna the Golden Country as its own standalone game. It isn't necessarily true DLC, even though it is included with the expansion pass, you know? However, it's also really, really good, <laughs> arguably more polished than the main game, absolutely worth the price, and that is coming on top of all the additional stuff. So just because it is so darn good, I'm going to give this DLC a rating of an A. Wow. You just want to rock out with your shulk out. He was a cool inclusion, don't get me wrong, but uh, the Golden Country is really where it's at, for sure. Okay, on to our next title. How about what we already talked about a little bit on the show, Animal Crossing New Horizons. So far, it appears that all of the additional content for this game is going to be free, free, free. And I have to say, so far, it's just kind of been ordinary stuff. Content that we kind of expect to find in any Animal Crossing game. You know, the Bunny Day update, in fact, was kind of annoying. You know, I could have done without it <laughs> in a lot of ways, you know. I still have nightmares of eggs falling out of the sky, you know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, as soon as it ended and I, like, realized that everything I dug up was a fossil again, I, like, was so excited. <laughs> Yeah, for two weeks, I was like, no, I don't want to go to one of these special islands because all I'm going to do is find like another 5,000 eggs. <laughs> and how does he get to every island planting these eggs and hiding them in the water? And... I don't know. They spent a lot of time holding up those balloons with eggs, man. That aside, you know, I am glad to see these free updates. The stuff that uh, we got in the most recent update, you know, like the museum expansion, certainly quite cool. And the other stuff we haven't got yet, very promising. I think there is a lot of room for quality of life fixes. I think we talked about that a little bit when we first discussed playing the game. Yep. You know, I think they could do things like making crafting just a little bit more user-friendly when you want to do a whole bunch of items at once, or if you want to make an advanced version of a shovel or whatever. And you know, I think some automatic context-sensitive use of ladders or the vaulting pole would be really, really nice. However, you know, the game is still only a little more than a month old. We have to see where it goes from here. 
So far, I don't think the additional content is anything special, but again, it's free, and better yet, there's lots of room to grow. At this current point in time, I would just say it's a B-. minus. I mean, I agree. I think it's really early to say. I do think, though, that this game, I mean, I don't know if you've read, it's just, it's done gangbusters. It's one of the yeah, for best, sure. best-selling games of all time, not even an Animal Crossing game. I mean, it's already outsold all of the other Animal Crossing games. Yeah, it's doing phenomenal. So, you know, you kind of hope that Nintendo is maybe taking that to heart and going, hey, you know what? We should probably support this way more than we even had plans for. And it's just cool that this game has the possibility to do that, you know. Maybe the next Bunny Day will be completely different. I mean, it's it's just... Ins- or maybe they'll say, hey, look at how popular this game is. Everybody loved that Bunny Day. Let's load up even more eggs into those balloons. I don't know. <laughs> I hope they do not say that. Well, we'll find out a year from now. <laughs> I like that there's just the sky's the limit and there's a lot of possibility out there. So, yeah, I think it's early to tell, but things are pointed in the right direction. Okay. Another game that had a bunch of free DLC is ARMS, which was released over you know approximately six months in the latter half of 2017. We got several new characters, Max Brass, Lola Pop, Misongo, Springtron, and Dr. Coyle, and new types of weapons that came with them. There were also five new stages, and there were a few new modes, including Arena and the Headlock Scramble. Plus, there were things like stats, a gallery... Uh, badge list, and then even a few limited time things like the party crash mode. On this one, you know, I would say that the added content was good, but I feel like it basically brought the game up to where it needed to be. I feel like it launched as being not quite a full-fledged game. It only had 10 characters then. Now it has 15 playable characters. And I think that by doing that actually makes the game, you know, kind of worthwhile where maybe it wasn't at first. So take all that into account. I'm going to give this one a grade of a B plus. Yeah, I tend to agree with that. I think it definitely, you know, adds some support to a much, much needed game. I think, you know, as a basically almost a launch title, mm-hmm. it, you know, it was a little paltry when it launched. But yeah, it's great that they have been supporting it and hopefully more people will pick it up. Yeah, especially after that recent demo, maybe they're going to discover the game has more legs, <laughs> so to speak. <laughs> Who knows? Maybe they aren't done with this title yet. We'll see. And moving along to another heavily competitive-focused Nintendo title, Splatoon 2. This had a great mix of both free and paid DLC. It's had quite a few additional stages brought in. It's like you know 13 or 16 or something. A whole bunch of weapons, even though many of those are variants on existing weapons. Tons of new gear, new salmon run content. Of course, the Splatfests are a great way to keep things going. And lots and lots of balance tweaks. But then... You know, all that stuff is free. They also had that Octo expansion for $20, which was a brand new single player mode with 80 missions. And I thought that was really, really good stuff. I mean, it was super hard for someone who hadn't already played through the entire regular single player yeah. game. I felt like I was just throwing myself into a fire there. <laughs> but I think that was really good stuff and absolutely worthwhile paying for. Yeah, I agree with you. Just tons of content in this game. You know, it's great that they've supported it with free content. It's also great mm-hmm. that there's an option for people that are you know, super into it and want to just play more single player content. Yeah, absolutely. I think they did a great job on this one with the free and the paid all the way around. I give this one a ranking of A. Yep, I have to agree. Okay, moving along. Let's discuss Luigi's Mansion 3 a little bit. I thought this game was absolutely fantastic as far as the single-player story mode goes. However, the DLC is just a multiplayer pack, which was released in two parts 
for a total of $9.99. This added new costumes, new Scream Park minigames, new level themes and ghost themes for the Scare Scraper, and also a bonus Polterpup flashlight, which is usable in any mode, apparently. <laughs> I bet you can't say that five times fast. What I will say, however, is that as much as I loved the single-player mode in this game, I just really couldn't get into the multiplayer stuff. I didn't play the multiplayer modes until I had finished the single-player mode, really. And when I did, I was a little bit let down, and it's like, mm, yeah, I don't know if I really want to pay for more multiplayer content. On the other hand, if they had made more single-player content, I would have been all over this for sure. Yeah, it's a little bit of a head-scratcher. With this game, it would make sense if they could just add more single-player content. You know, it really feels like this game could have extra parts to it that I would gladly pay for, just like you said. You know, obviously there's already a multiplayer in there, but they felt like that part could be expanded upon, and maybe it could, but to me, this wasn't really for me. Yeah, I don't really think it was for me either. I have to admit, I have not played the new content, so I don't know for sure. Maybe it's completely (laughs) mind-blowing, but, you know... Without actually having touched it, I have to give it a grade just for, you know, its level of appeal. I'm only going to give it a C. At least the C stands for cheap. I was going to give it a G. Oh? Standing for gooey G. (laughs) Okay, that's fair enough. (laughs) Now, I have to say, this is another game that I'm not quite ready to score yet because the DLC is not out. But uh, I'm talking about Pokemon Sword and Shield, which is also getting an expansion pass for 30 bucks. But it seems very, very promising. You know, we have two big updates on the way, even though they're not out yet. And they both add new areas, new and returning Pokemon, new outfits, and a whole lot more. We're getting the Isle of Armor, which is supposed to be out by the end of June, and then the Crown Tundra area out by the end of November. It does seem really, really promising. Maybe a little bit overpriced. If it was costing only $20, I'd be in for sure. Obviously, I won't know for sure until I play it, so I'm not ready to give it a grade yet. But I certainly like at least some aspects of uh, where this DLC is headed. Yeah. And again, I'll make the argument, as long as you're not making me buy a third Pokemon, the, you know, (laughs) Pokemon Mace or, uh, I don't know, Spear or something. (laughs) But yeah, I'm glad that this is an option. And it feels like if the content is as good as advertised, this probably will be worth the price of admission. Yeah, I'm certainly looking forward to checking it out. Now, what about Fire Emblem Three Houses? That got an expansion pass. It cost 25 bucks, and it was released in several groups. A lot of it was just you know costumes and cosmetic stuff. There were two attire packs. There were additional auxiliary battles, something called additional resources, support items, a few additional quests. But then they brought out the big guns and released the side story known as Cindered Shadows, which adds a brand new house to the mix, the Ashen Wolves. And that includes with it new characters, new locations, and new battles. Pete, you haven't had a chance to try this out yet, have you? No, I haven't. I'm actually, you know, I don't know if we've spoken about this, but I almost completed one of the houses in Fire Emblem Three Houses. Can't believe it. Oh, nice. Yeah, takes some serious amount of time. But yeah, I mean, just from what you're saying with the expansion pass, you know, it feels like this is a lot of content for the price. It is interesting because, you know, the game already is... If you play through all three houses, I mean, that is (laughs) well over 100 hours of gameplay, I would say. Yeah. So the fact that there's even more for another 25, I mean, I feel like this is definitely for the hardcore only. That being said, it's always awesome when there's an extra addition to a game you love. 
especially the fact that now they've rolled out this entirely new house. Yeah, I gotta say, it's a pretty compelling argument. Yeah, I'm going to abstain on grading this since I really haven't played that far into the main story, let alone touch the DLC. But uh, I've been keeping tabs on it, and while early on the DLC did not seem that worthwhile, I think the new side story sounds really, really excellent, and from what I have heard is of utmost quality. So uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to checking this one out when I finally get back to Three Houses. Do you think you're going to pick it up? I don't know. I want to. I'm sure the content is compelling and great. I just, you know, (laughs) I can't believe that I've actually almost played through it in one playthrough. I (laughs) certainly can't imagine playing through it more than once. I understand what you're saying. Yes. When Fire Emblem Fates came out, you know, I bought the extra story mode for that and I never got around to actually playing it. So (laughs) I totally understand the feeling. Right. And at $25, it's kind of like you better know you're going to play it. (laughs) Yeah, I see what you're saying. But speaking of Fire Emblem, there was also Fire Emblem Warriors out there, and it had a season pass for 20 bucks, and it arrived in several packs. There was a Fates DLC pack, which added three characters, Azura, Niles, and Aboro, as well as new costumes, weapons, items, and history maps. Then there were similar packs for Shadow Dragon and Awakening, which again add their own selection of characters and costumes and so forth. Those include Minerva, Linde, Navare, Olivia, Tharja, and Owain. Uh, plus, if you bought this, you also got a bonus Lucina bride costume, so she could truly be your waifu. That's amazing. <laughs> there was some free DLC as well, such as a hero challenge map, some golden costumes for the main characters, and the uh, armor strike plus attribute you could get. But I think as far as the paid DLC goes, the nine new playable characters are really where it's at. You know, the maps and costumes aren't bad either. I think it is a fair amount of stuff for the price, so I'm going to give this one a B. Fair enough. And then last but certainly not least, I did want to bring up Super Mario Maker 2, which of course we know is all about free additional content. You know, we already talked about some of the new stuff that came out, but beyond that, we also had The Legend of Zelda Master Sword, New enemies like Spike and Pokey, new parts like Frozen Coins and the P-Block and the Dash Block, and then of course all that new stuff, the Super Mario Brothers 2 Mushroom, the World Maker, the Frog Suit, the Boomerang Flower, the Power Balloon, and of course the Cursed Key. Then on top of that, they gave us better access to our friends list and uh, the official Nintendo-created courses, the official makers. So... You know, I'm very impressed with what they have added to this game and you know, all for the grand total of $0. So I would absolutely give this game a grade of an A. Yeah, for sure. I mean, they just keep adding things that are really compelling, really new reasons to pick up this title. I've got a friend who has kid that, you know, every time new content comes out, they just like cannot wait to play it and add more stuff to their levels. I want to go back now and mess around with the world creator. It just seems like a really fun addition. The fact that it's all free is pretty cool. Yeah, absolutely. It's kind of unfortunate that that is the last major update they have planned. But uh, regardless, they had a really robust DLC plan, and I'm really pleased with everything they delivered on that title. Heck, I wasn't really expecting even you know anything for this one necessarily, but uh, they really impressed me nonetheless. Yeah, totally. Anyway, that certainly doesn't cover every single Switch game out there that has DLC, but it does include a whole lot of them. You know, a few games are actually notable because they don't have any DLC, such as Mario Kart 8 Deluxe and Hyrule Warriors, which both got ported over from the previous generation and included all of the DLC in the package. So overall, you know, I would say that I think Nintendo has done a pretty good job 
with all of their DLC. I don't think the value is always there, but I think almost every time they have done a very good job extending the life of their games and providing compelling new content that people actually want to play, with a few very minor exceptions. For an overall grade, I think I'm going to go A-. I think, you know, yeah, it's a brave new world for Nintendo. I think the fact that they have sort of charged into this whole world of DLC head on. Yeah, they really embraced it. Yeah, I would say that by and large, they're doing a great job. And the fact that, yeah, there is this additional content available for games you might love. I can't say that it's a bad thing to get more content, even if you have to pay for it sometimes. I do appreciate that there is that option now and it makes things like a, a game like Animal Crossing or you know, even like a Mario Maker a lot more compelling, you know, just knowing that it's going to be supported for years to come. Yep, absolutely. And I believe that does it for this week's big topic, which means it is time for us to wrap up this week's episode. But before we do that, we do have time for one more thing, and that is a dramatic reading. This time, it is the eShop description of the Nintendo Switch game, Metaloid Origin. Metaloid Origin is a wonderful action platform game full of colors and explosions. Metaloid Origin is an fast-paced, gun-and-run 2D platformer. Take on the role of one out of three android warriors known as Predator, and dash through nine different levels in order to save their planet from an robot army led by Lucian Corp, whom invade their planet and exploit the planetary resources to fuel their galactic war efforts. Three playable character. Choose and play as one from three characters, which all offer different set of abilities and weapons. Play as Erica and flood entire screen with barrage of bullet fire. Alternatively, reduce giant enemies to ashes in the blink of an eye as Zeta using Atomic Thunder, or fly as Neva across the level equipped with jetpack to bring aerial doom. <laughs> Dash through nine levels with unique tile set theaters and gameplay mechanics. From waterfall cave to scooter interception in desert, riding cart in volcano mine, and fighting a giant walker on a snowfield. <laughs> Collect Solrium and unlock new equipment. Collect Solrium gems from levels and enemies, then use them to purchase new weapons and unlock new powers from anywhere in the game by simply opening pause menu. However, some upgrades will require more than Solrium to unlock them. Difficulty settings. Metaloid Origin features two difficulty settings to choose from for the player. Some gimmick or enemies would function differently depending on which setting you did choose. <laughs> on the hard difficulty mode, enemies would move faster, deal more damage, or even gain new attack type. Man, oh man. That game feels like it doesn't know which tense it wants to live in. <laughs> yes, it certainly seems to have some issues with its grammar. <laughs> and probably its grandpa as well. <laughs> there's a lot of ands where there should be a's, and there's a lot of singulars where were like past tense and present tense and yeah this one wouldn't get a good grade for my english teacher i don't think <laughs> however you know looking at videos of this game you know on the eShop and online it actually looks like a pretty darn cool game you know it seems to be very much cut from the mega man or mega man x cloth which you know is certainly way up my alley 
I love the description of the levels, the waterfall cave to scooter interception in desert. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't want a scooter interception. Right, or... It's the best part in any game. Riding cart in Volcano Mine. However, hopefully the actual gameplay is far, far better than the eShop description. That's my hope anyway. I gotta say, sometimes you uh, do this for a game that I have no interest in, but looking at the screenshots of this one, it actually looks pretty good. Yeah, I'd love to give it a shot someday. It's no pooplers. Anyway, that does it for this week. As always, you can find us at powerpros.podbean.com. You can follow us at powerprospod on both Facebook and Twitter. You can follow me, The Hoff, on Twitter at ChrisTheHoff, and you can find Pete at BurlyRedYeti. You can email us at powerprospod at gmail.com, and if you like the podcast, it would be great if you told your friends about us. Thanks for listening, everybody. For myself, Pete Mashad. I'm no poopler. And our good friend, Ken Masters. Challenge me after some practice. We will see you next time.